Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 137 of Leading Simple. Hope you're having a great, great day and week and month and 2021. Well, listen, you may have heard the exciting news, but we've recently been picked up by a great platform called Charisma, which sees literally millions of downloads every single month from their platform, and they've invited us to be part of their podcast menu. So we're really honored to be a part of that. And if you happen to come over here because of that, you were on Charisma, you saw something on their website, you checked us out because you liked today's guest, uh, let me just tell you, welcome. My name's Rusty, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. Along with Charisma, we've also picked up some sponsors. Growmentum is an organization that helps churches reach their potential. I love this group, and we've benefited from them and their work for years. You can find out more at growmentumgroup.com. They're church consultants that help you work on the church, not just in the church. And we're also sponsored by Stadia Church Planting Group. Uh, recently, they came out and they reduced their fees to zero so they could plant more churches. And if you're interested in planting a church, check out stadiachurchplanting.com. And hey, if you're interested in planting in California, we're on a mission to plant 30 churches by the year 2030. So you can contact us at Real Life Church. Well, today's guest, boy, this is a real treat. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Circle Maker, which many of you have probably read before. His latest book is called Win the Day, which truthfully I think is his best work. His name is Mark Batterson, and I think you're going to love my conversation with him. Mark Batterson, I am so glad that you are with us, and uh, I, I never thought I'd say I'm thankful to be talking to you, and here's why. Because, as we have discussed and joked about 30 years ago, we were on a basketball court you were on the court, I was on the bench, but you were wreaking havoc on my Ozark Christian College ambassadors while you played at Central Bible College. Um, tell me, do you have any memory of playing at Ozark in the Ambassadome in Joplin, Missouri? <laughs> I do. We had a few battles on the basketball court, and uh, those are good memories. Those are good days. You know, Rusty, uh, the older you get, the better you were. I know it. I know. I keep I keep getting a little more playing time every year. By the I love it. And your vertical leap. It only gets brother. better. Yeah. It really it I mean, only gets better. You played you played above the rim. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> well, listen, buddy, you are a uh, a pastor, uh you're an author, a husband, a father to three kids. And tell me where you where you grew up and where ministry kind of began for you and when did you think this is what I want to do with my life. Well, I was born in Minneapolis, uh, moved to Wisconsin, grew up in Chicago. So a Midwest kid. Wow. And, you know, it, it would have been, uh, I would have been 19 years old. Uh, I was a freshman at the University of Chicago, actually playing basketball there. And I asked God a dangerous question. What do you want me to do with my life? Now, Rusty, I think at that point, I would have said that I was following Jesus, but the reality is I had invited Jesus to follow me. Oh, that's good. And I think that there are a lot of people in a lot of churches that fall into that camp. But the adventure doesn't really begin 
until you go all in and you make this decision to follow Jesus. And so for me, it was giving up a full ride scholarship at the University of Chicago and transferring to Central Bible College. And that's kind of where I began to train for what I perceived to be a calling to ministry. And so uh, it's fun to think back on that. You know, those were, uh, I, I guess, you know, I thought maybe I would be in politics or maybe law. In fact, my, my major was politics, economics, rhetoric, and law. And so I thought maybe I, I thought maybe I would land in D.C., but under very different terms. And so here I am pastoring a church in the nation's capital. It wasn't exactly my game plan out of the gate, but uh, I think God was working those plans and purposes in my life all along. Tell me some of the people that poured into you that made you the leader you are today. Yeah, there's some people that really left their fingerprints on my soul. One of them would be my father-in-law. Uh, he planted and pastored a church in Naperville, Illinois. And, and I think I saw what God can do with long obedience in the same direction. I think I also saw what God can do with someone who gets up at 5 a.m. and prays every morning. And so I saw in his life these daily habits that um, really made him the man of God that he was. And then I would say uh, my spiritual father is someone named Dick Foth, who as a rookie pastor, pastoring 19 people, uh, two of them happened to be Dick and Ruth Foth, who kind of took Laura and I under their wings and uh, said, we're in it. We're in it with you. We're in your corner. And I'm eternally grateful. In fact, I was on the phone with him today. He's someone that I still look to for mentoring and for wisdom. And then I would say that there's people along the way that have just uh, impacted me at critical junctures in my life. You know, uh, a professor in college named Opal Redden, uh, a pastor uh, named Bob Smiley, where in college we went to a church, get this rusty, with seven pews. <laughs> so, you know, someone built that church and said, we're not going to stop at six pews. We're going to build seven pews because revival might break out. <laughs> and so I literally started out preaching to, you know, 12 people. So I couldn't do much harm. But that's really where I cut my teeth. And uh, I'm grateful because there's someone who gave, you know, a 20-year-old kid named Mark Batterson an opportunity to preach in that pulpit. It's interesting. You think back at the leaders that have influenced you, and I think about the ones that have influenced me, and they don't necessarily have the same makeup as we do. They don't have the same, you know, spiritual gifts, personality traits. And I think that's what leaders sometimes miss. They assume that They've got to find someone just like them to become just like them. But really, God kind of fills in a lot of the gaps, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. In fact, remember back in the day, I don't hear this as much now, but, you know, are you task oriented or people oriented? I tend to be more task oriented. I'm a goal setter. You know, I'm a type three performer on the Enneagram. Like, give me a goal to go after and we're going to go get it. And uh, 
my spiritual father, Dick Foth, may be the most relational person I know. In fact, he's never met a stranger. In fact, I'll share this, Rusty. This is going to be worth the price of the podcast. Are you ready for this? Yes. He said there, he says there are two types of people in the world. There are those who walk into a room and they internally announce, here I am. In other words, it's all about them. Their ego can barely fit through the door. It's all about me, myself, and I. And he said there's a second kind of person that walks in and says, there you are. It's all about everybody else. It's all about um, the other person. And, you know, I don't think I would have known that um, without his influence in my life. And so he's helped me become more people-oriented because I've got the task orientation thing down. And so God brought someone into my life to help counterbalance that. When you're planning out your, your week and you're thinking about all the tasks you want to get done, what do you intentionally put in there? Because I know task-oriented people because I am one. You have to schedule people time. <laughs> what do you intentionally put in there so that you maintain that relational side that you learn from him? Yeah. You know, in terms of scheduling, it's interesting. Tuesdays for me are meeting days. And so that's those are days where I would have lots of face-to-face meetings and I kind of get in people mode. Mm-hmm. And then that, that buys me back uh, a couple of other days where I'm in study mode or writing mode. Uh, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but on the Myers-Briggs, I would have initially uh, graded out as an ENFP. Uh, over the years, I think I have gravitated from an E extrovert to an I introvert. And I, I've heard many leaders say the same thing. The reason's pretty simple. that It's very hard for you to, to flip the switch off. And so it's you're always you know have people who want a little bit of your time and, and that's not a bad thing but um for me i've had to really find a way to kind of balance those two things and it, it's not easy it continues to be a balancing act for me i, w- I want to go off script here a little bit because i sent you a few questions but something i've always noticed about you is in your speaking and in your writing you're able to craft a phrase so well that it's, I mean, the cliche would be that it's tweetable, but I mean, it's more than that. It's profound. I mean, your sentence there about, I asked, uh, I never asked, uh, I never decided to follow Jesus. I asked Jesus to follow me. Uh, that's brilliant. Does that come natural for you? Because some people, it just kind of rolls off the tongue, like they're just rapping, just profound words. And others, they have to kind of whittle it down and work it and work it and work it to get to what Andy Stanley would call the bottom line. Where are you with that? Is that something you've learned or just kind of God-given? Yeah, I feel like you just popped the hood, didn't you? Now we're looking, we're looking <laughs> at the engine. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've been asked that specific question. And so let, let me give you my stream of consciousness. Perfect. When I, when I felt called to write at 22, 
Um, I had just taken an aptitude uh, assessment that showed a low aptitude for writing. In other words, it's not a natural gifting for me. Uh, it's something that I had to work at harder than the average person. And looking back on it, I'm actually grateful for that hmm. because what I did is I read 3,000 books before I wrote one. And I think what I did, Rusty, is I reverse engineered those books and I figured out, what do I like and not like? What makes something memorable? How do I say things, old things, in a new way? How do you flip a phrase so that people are actually going to remember it? And I think somewhere along the way, I realized that parallelisms are a, um, well, in Jewish terminology, it would almost be like a chiasm. It's this idea of, Pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. It's kind of seeing things in a two-dimensional way. And so I think some of it is just a learned habit Mm -hmm. that I work really hard to say things in a way that might make them more memorable or might help people turn the kaleidoscope just a little bit so that they see things from a slightly different angle. Um, so I, I don't know. That's kind of my reaction to it. And as communicators, I think we got to work really hard at this. And I will say this. I have become a little bit of a wordsmith in the sense that I love words. In fact, I once read through the dictionary. And I only made made it to the letter M, Rusty. <laughs> but... But I did make it to the letter M. So I I love words. I love phrases. I love language in part because that's that's what we do for a living. I've never met anybody who says that they have read through the dictionary. First of all, admitted it and then admitted they didn't make it all the way. I mean, that is unbelievable. (laughs) Hey, do do you want a fun fact? Because of that, my favorite game is dictionary. Now, it's kind of like Balderdash. Okay. When the Batterson family gets together, we'll sometimes pull out a dictionary and you have to find a word that no one knows. Mm -hmm. And then you write the actual definition as well as everybody making up a definition. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's a pretty fun game. I'm just putting it out there for everybody. That's. Do you remember that game show years ago? We're about the same age, so you would have seen it called Liars Club. It was on like right after... um, uh, Wheel of Fortune or something like that. And they'd have three yeah. people up there and they'd bring out some object and they'd say, what is this? And one person knew the truth, you know, or whatever. And and, or, and the other two would make up something. It was kind of like to tell the truth or whatever. That's what yes, it sounds like. It. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you this then about writing and, and, and preaching. Um, do you find, and you can't say both, you have to pick one or the other. Do you find that you like to tell a story first and then drop the point or do you like to start with the point and then illustrate it with a story? I tell stories to frame things. And I would call them not just metaphors, but organizing metaphors. So what I'm trying to do is create a frame first. And then I try to make the point. And Part of that is, you know, I look at the way that Jesus taught in parables. And so he had a way of um, pulling truth from different 
from different spheres of life. And, and I would say this. I think every ology is a branch of theology. Um, you know, creation reveals the divine nature of God. And so whether I'm studying physics or neuroscience or anything else, I often try to pull truth from those disciplines in a way that then will cross-pollinate and help people maybe see things a little bit differently. So, for example, and I normally wouldn't go this far this down this rabbit hole, but I kind of have a hunch of who's listening to this, and they might find it interesting. So, John 9 is a great example where Jesus heals the man born blind. If you don't understand anything about neuroscience, then you're going to undervalue that miracle because if you're born blind, it means there are no synaptic connections between the optic nerve and visual cortex in the brain. So this is not healing in astigmatism. This is synaptogenesis. This is Jesus opening a window of opportunity that would have closed when when that man was just about 18 months old. And so it's this incredible miracle that gets accentuated by virtue of the fact that, man, he is installing a new synaptic pathway in that blind man's brain. And so it's kind of an example of how I I love reading widely so that some of those things then kind of um, are almost like a pop-up window that help us appreciate scripture even more. Okay, so I love that you brought that up. So do you read and you find out these facts and then you work them into your presentations or do you read the text and go, huh, wonder what that means from the scientific side of things or from biology and then you start researching it that way? I I think it's both and, Mm -hmm. but often it is reading offbeat books. Okay. Um, Okay. Like, like one of my favorite books is uh, The Secret Life of Trees. I'll just throw that out. Um, Dendrology is the science of trees. And I'll read a crazy book like that, and it'll give me one or two stories that will help me then go to Scripture and maybe see it slightly differently, if that makes sense. And you know, it's funny. We're, we're both kind of internally chuckling because I think communicators and pastors especially know that everything is an illustration. And so I, I sometimes joke with my kids that they're my three illustrations. Right. Um, but I will say this. I, when I tell a story about them, I do give them five bucks. I do, and if too. Come on. I and do, too. And if it's too. an embarrassing story, Rusty, I give them a 20 spot. Yeah. Well, they're trying to get me to pay them five bucks per service. So now it gets even more. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're going to, that's, hey, that might pay for a college education. That's right. That's right. So when you walk in Barnes & Noble, when we used to be able to do that, and, and you can go to a, you know, anywhere in the store, where do you wander and start looking for books you've not read? I, I usually go to the new releases mm-hmm. first. Um, I often find myself in business, in history, and in psychology. I mean, those are kind of, well, and biography. I love biography. So I kind of, I'll gravitate to those sections of the bookstore, and I'll look for things that, that 
catch my eye. Um, and then I'll, I'll start to rabbit trail. Now, if I read a book that's a really good book, I actually study the end notes and I figure oh. out where they got their mm-hmm. original sources from. And so I'll kind of trace it back that way and do a little bit of original research myself. But that's that's kind of the way I'm wired. I'm I'm a learner. I love to learn. Uh, in fact, you'll you'll love this. Back in our basketball playing days in college, I remember we had a road trip. We might have been playing. Was it Midwest? Um, Mid America. Uh, Mid America. Yep. Mid America. And we were on a road trip, and I picked up a, a biography on Albert Einstein. And this is this is when I started reading in my senior year of college. And uh, I read this biography on Albert Einstein, and he said, never lose a holy curiosity. Mm. And it became kind of this, this um, motto for me. And so ever since then, I've kind of I've sort of approached things that way that I just have kind of this holy curiosity. And and so that then leads me in lots of different directions. Um, and I, I don't even know where that was going, but no, we'll I just- love that. I, I love, I love that idea. And Einstein obviously gives us all kinds of different material, but um, okay. Curiosity. Sometimes you don't have time to go as far as you want to go because the sermon's got to be written. <laughs> the publisher wants the book in on time. When do you know yep. it? When do you know it's good enough? When it's time to quit, let's preach this thing. Let's publish this thing. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast to let you know some exciting news. My latest book, After Amen, is now on Audible. Uh, the book is an effort to try to help people understand what to do while they're waiting on God. And for a lot of us, we pray, then we say amen, and we wonder... What's next? Is there something I'm supposed to do to get God's attention or to get the answer that I need from God? Well, actually, there is. And we walk through it in this book. Hey, you can check this out at audible.com or amazon.com and download your audible version of After Amen, What to Do When Waiting on God. Okay, back to the show. Well, I have some perfectionist tendencies. (laughs) So I don't care how much time I have to prep for a message. I guarantee I will be working on it up until the very last second. I can't not. I don't know what it is about me. It's And, and it's even Parkinson's law that if you have two weeks to do it, it'll take two weeks. If you have two months, it'll take two months. So I, in terms of message prep, uh, I, I'm going to be working on it right up to the last second. I will share one helpful thing because I'm sure there's some other perfectionists and procrastinators listening. When it comes to writing, I had to Jedi mind trick myself. And, and so what I did is I made an agreement with my editor that once I feel like it's at, it, it's at 80%, that I'll hand off the manuscript to them. And so it took a little bit of pressure off of me to be able to hand off some of what I write sooner than later, because you do hit a point of diminishing return. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, I think Andy Stanley said, you'll never be more than 80% certain, which I, which I kind of love. 
except with marriage, I might shoot higher than that. With marriage, <laughs> let's let's go for ninety seven percent. Let's but, don't just cross our uh, fingers and hope for the best, right? Yes. <laughs> so if you'll never be more than eighty percent certain. I kind of employed it as an 80% rule as it relates to writing. And that's helped me, I think, produce a little bit higher volume of content. Okay, so I want to ask you one more question about this before we talk about your new book, which I I love, love the title and love the concepts. But the first time I got asked to write a book, I thought, oh, this will be simple. I'll just take a message series and just turn it into a book. Well, the problem is a message is about what? you know, 1,500 words, and a chapter is like 5,000 words. And I quickly figured out, uh, I got maybe four or five blogs in me. I don't have a a book. Um, What have you discovered the difference between writing a message and writing a book? Um, and, And how do you, you know, kind of stretch it out or add to it? Or what has to go into a book that can't go into a sermon and vice versa? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say that sermon series are seed beds for books. Mm. But then I think also I've, I've written a lot of books where it becomes the seed bed for the sermon series. So yeah. I kind of I've done it both ways. Um, and I will share one other thing. And this is another Jedi mind trick. I'm sounding like a Star Wars fanatic and I'm really yeah. not. But picking up on um, that a little bit. I, I have started writing uh more chapters with fewer words to fool readers into thinking that they're better readers than they are. I completely because agree. Because then they can kind of gain more ground. In fact, the hardest thing for me with writing is that if it's a long chapter, I end up in what I call the writing forest and I get into it and I get lost and I don't know how to find my way out. And so I have started writing uh shorter chapters to kind of get in and get out and help readers feel like they're accomplishing the book. But, you know, uh, I'm from the camp of one big idea and you come at it from a few angles when it comes to preaching. Yeah, I think with, with writing, uh, I still believe you need that organizing metaphor, but you know, it's a little bit different animal and you have to write a little bit differently than you would manuscript uh, for a message. And uh, it's hard for me to describe that. But um, yeah, I think with with writing, you can be you have to be precise. And so I could literally spend half a day on one paragraph. That's why I need that 80% rule to kind of keep me mm. uh, in check when it comes to the writing. That's great. That's that's really, really helpful. Well, if if nobody else has been blessed by this, I have been because it's given me permission to write shorter chapters. So thank you very much for that. Uh, I do want to talk <laughs> about Win the Day. Okay, so you've written um, 18 books? 20 books, yeah, something this, like that? This might, be, this might be 19 or 20. Okay. So, I mean, that's a lot, a lot of books, and they're all really good. The Circle Maker is the one that just, you know, absolutely blew up everybody's minds when it comes to how to pray, uh, which was really, really inspirational in my life. And a lot of our, our listeners um, have, have read that, and we did a series on that at the church. But this new book, Win the Day, um, I, I love this phrase, yesterday is history, tomorrow's a mystery, win the day. Where'd this come from? Yeah, it, uh, 
It's funny. The the origin of this particular book is actually a, a story from a book I probably read 25 years ago, a guy named Dale Carnegie, who, of course, wrote How to Win Friends, Influence People. But he wrote a, must, a much less well-known book called How to Stop Worrying. And he tells a story about uh, Sir William Osler, the founder of modern medicine, who uh, gave a commencement speech at Yale in 1913. And the message was, live in daytight compartments. Now, what's interesting, Rusty, is that we have a biblical worldview. So we kind of have this uh you know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. His mercies are new every morning. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. By the way, I wish that was give us our month, our monthly bread, right? Mm, right. And then it would require less dependence. But it's amazing how even this idea of manna, it was only a one-day supply. And so there's this idea of of uh, what I'm getting at is I think night and day are a tremendous gift from God. It's almost like a little death and resurrection to every 24 hours where God gives us a fresh start. But the key is uh, living in those daytight compartments, living almost like every day is the first day and last day of your life. Now that's starting on a very esoteric level. Um, and, and I promise you, uh, the book gets very practical in terms of routines and habits and, and things like that. But I, I think, you know, it starts with this idea that you got to bury dead yesterdays and go ahead and imagine unborn tomorrows. But at the end of the day, whatever goal you're going after, whatever problem you're trying to solve, whatever habit you're trying to build, it's going to happen one day at a time. And so... Uh, maybe this is your year to run a marathon or to write a book or to get out of debt or to get that graduate degree. Guess what? One day at a time. You have to win the day if you're going to get where you want to go. You give us seven things which come with a great little image, which is so memorable. Well done. I'm going to read through a few of these, and I'm going to ask you to give us a brief synopsis, not to... Uh, to give away all of the book because people need to buy the book. But give me a sentence on flip the script. Yeah, if you want to change your life, you have to change your story. Mm. And part of that is giving complete editorial control to the author and perfecter of your faith and letting God write his story, history with a hyphen in it through your life. You know, Rusty, all of us are born into someone else's story. But at some point, we've got to figure out the story that God's trying to write through us, and we have to flip the script. And so that's habit number one. Kiss the wave. Yeah, Charles Spurgeon said, you have to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages. Mm. That is profound. Wow. Uh, the obstacle is not the enemy. The obstacle is the way. And, uh, you know, with that habit, I actually share the story of my wife who had a bout with cancer a couple of years ago, um, came as a complete shock and she's doing great now, but that'll knock the wind out of you. The game changer for her, Rusty, was this little question that was embedded in a poem and it was this, 
what have you come to teach me? If you don't own the past, the past will own you. And so you've got to learn uh, how to kiss the wave, embrace the adversity, and then and only then are you ready to get to the other side of it and uh, actually win the day. I love that. I think I know where this one's going, but walk us through it. Eat the frog. Yeah, it's a Mark Twainism. He said, if you ever have to eat a live frog, do it first thing in the morning because then the hardest thing is behind you. <laughs> I love that. Um, it's this idea that uh, if you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. Uh, you've got to do the hard work. And, and part of that it, are these these daily habits. Um, and I talk some a lo- about habit stacking, Rusty, that you know, even as a pastor, um, let's be honest, wh- one of the things that's critical to my spiritual growth is a daily Bible reading plan. I wish I could tell you that that comes naturally, but it takes discipline. And so what I do is I habit stack it with my coffee drinking. And so I office right above our coffee house. And b- by the way, uh, the Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals awesome. Just going to throw that out there. Amen. And and um, and so I actually do my Bible reading while I drink my morning coffee. And that habit stack is uh, something that kind of helps me keep that discipline in place. I love that phrase. Is that yours? Habit stack? No, that's not original with me. Okay. It, uh, but it's a it's a newer concept. That I think, let's be honest, I think it's as old as the book of Deuteronomy. It's this idea of, you know, whether you're, you know, um, at home or uh, you're going somewhere, you know, it's, it's this idea of figuring out how in the rhythm of your life, how to create healthy triggers. So an example would be, you know, someone who's trying to get in shape, they might say, I'm going to take the stairs instead of the elevator or escalator whenever I see it. It's kind of this idea of of building in some habits into your life. That's so good. I heard a, a doctor one time say, if you just stop driving around trying to get the perfect parking spot and park far away, you'll be better off. And I, I, I thought about that when I was going to the gym one day and how funny it is how we all circle the drive, the parking lot at the gym to get a close space and then go in and get on the treadmill. <laughs> oh man. Isn't, isn't that true? Um, we, we would probably all be better served if we yeah. took the, uh, that furthest spot. That's right. Okay. Fly the kite. Yeah. If you do little things like they're big things, God's going to eventually do big things like they're little things. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Um, It's about these little habits that have a cumulative effect over time and and then just practicing continual improvement. This idea of Kaizen where you are continually improving. There is no finish line. And I think that's, uh, that's the approach that we try to take with that habit. Okay. Uh, number five, cut the rope. Yeah, playing it safe. 
mm. is risky. Mm, that's and good. So there comes a moment where I, I think faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. And so there's a moment where you got to get out of the boat yeah. uh, if you're going to walk on water. And so I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't know, but I do try to. Uh, I feel like my job as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, generally you get cards and pastor appreciation month for comforting the afflicted, not for the other. But I, I think it's the other one that at the end of the day, people look back and say, thank you for pushing me, for challenging me. And so I, I think that habit is about pushing people out of their comfort zone and helping them take a step of faith. Number six, wind the clock. Time is measured in minutes. Life is measured in moments. Do not accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. And and I think this is great. You know, I think about it as a dad uh, with three kids. Man, my approach to fathering was always looking for those moments. And uh, now certainly... You know, I, I want to be famous in my home, and it's hard to be famous in your home if you're never home. So you, you've got to log the hours. But, you know, I think it's about creating those moments that become game changers or life changers. That's what we look back on and remember. Last one see the clouds. Yeah, you have to sow today what you want to see tomorrow. And so, uh, You can't break the law of sowing and reaping. It will make or break you. And this is, uh, I have a little bit of fun here because, you know, it could have been seeding the ground, but that would be boring, right, Rusty? Because uh, there there are some fascinating breakthroughs in the last century where you can actually, meteorologically, you can make it rain. Mm. If you seed the clouds, with some uh, dry ice, and I share that story in the book. Uh, there are ways. Don't try to manufacture. I'm not talking about manipulation, but there are things that we can do that can begin to seed the clouds, and uh, and we can see the kind of results that we want. I love that. Well, buddy, this has been really, really rich and uh, just helpful for everybody. But I, I want to end on saying something to you that you taught me you didn't even know it but I heard you on a podcast it might have been with Carrie or somebody else and you were talking about being a dad and you were talking about that famous at home idea and I believe you said it this way I want to be a hero at home and that hit me at a time when I was working way too much trying to make a name for myself or whatever it was And I thought, this is just absurd. And ever since then, in my Michael Hyatt planner, (laughs) because I'm an INTJ, like Jesus, um, (laughs) I started writing in there, I want to be a hero at home. And I am so grateful, as I have now a senior headed off to college and a sophomore in kind of our latter stages of parenting, that I made that a priority and I have you to thank for it. So Mark, you've been an inspiration to so many people through your writings, your ministry in Washington, DC, 
uh, impacts thousands and thousands of people. And on behalf of the church, I just want to say thank you. Uh, in a world where integrity is not that common, I'm grateful for what you're doing. So thank you, brother. Well, Rusty, I'm humbled and blessed by those words. And at the end of the day, success is when those who know you best respect you most. Mm -hmm. And that's my wife and it's my kids. And I have made plenty of mistakes over the years. I, I had to listen. It's when my wife, Laura, said this isn't what I signed up for, that I had to do a serious gut check and uh, establish some boundaries in my own life. And so I know that everybody listening to this, it's hard to stay in balance. All of us make mistakes, but maybe just maybe this is a divine appointment. Maybe this is a moment that God's speaking to you and uh, somehow, some way through this podcast, it's, it's a moment for you to reestablish priorities, reestablish boundaries. And uh, if you do that, I bet you'll be grateful that you did. Mark, thank you so much, buddy. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Rusty. God bless. Well, thanks for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe and make sure you share with a friend. Next week, I'll have a conversation with a, a trained professional and helping us kind of get our minds around this, this issue that the world is dealing with right now, especially our country, and that is the issue of mental health. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Grow Minimum and Stadia for sponsoring. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can contact me at rgeorge at reallifechurch.org. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.